1: I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present, We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of Black theatre in this country, and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. In this moment especially, I also want to extend this acknowledgement to Indigenous people across the globe. As I record this, the violent siege on Gaza continues. This episode, and the work that we do here always, is deeply informed by a commitment to decolonization on this land and everywhere else land back from Gadigal to Gaza. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show that explores the values and complexities of race, culture, and identity. My name is Samantha Haran, and I am an Elam Tamil writer and organizer and part of the network of voices here at Race Matters. Across the month of December, Race Matters will be hosting a summer retreat, a series of conversations and mixes exploring modes of healing that are rooted in different cultures ways of being, and speak to the nuance and expansiveness of our communities. With that, today I am honoured to bring you a conversation exploring what decolonial healing looks, sounds, and feels like. Our cultural landscape is littered with all kinds of references to self-care and therapy as solutions to the horrors of the world. Both joking memes and serious texts engage with this idea. It seems that after violently pillaging the lands and exploiting the labour of the whole world, all colonial capitalism has to offer us as consolation is a $200 massage and some self-care affirmations via an Instagram infographic. But what so many of us know and have known is that we can neither massage or affirm ourselves out of colonial capitalism. On today's episode, I want to ask, What would it mean to refuse the depoliticization of our health, especially our mental health? What would it look like to say, we can't heal whilst the world is on fire? I am honored to have LJ Phoenix Singh join me today for this vital conversation. LJ is a Kwandamuka and Wiradjuri woman and First Nations healing practitioner who works from an anti-oppressive, abolitionist, and decolonial perspective. She is based on the lands of the Kulin Nation, where she offers accessible and trauma-informed counselling. Through her work, LJ shatters the narrow confines of Western health, therapy, and self-care. Drawing on her ancestral practices, she creates alternative timelines and spaces rooted in true decolonial healing. To start off with, could you tell us a little bit about your First Nations healing practice and how you got into this work?
0: I've worked in community services for about 10 years, Um, but during COVID, you know, a lot of us were working from home and, you know, I started to have more conversations with a lot of my friends and a lot of community. And one thing that continuously came up was that so many of us felt unsafe in counselling, um, but you know, really wanted to access therapy, and then you know, we talked a little bit about how hard it was to find Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander counsellors or psychologists. Um, even uh, POC therapists are quite hard to find. So a lot of my friends were kind of like, "Oh, you should do it. You should do it." So I thought, "Okay, I'll give it a go." I've got a bit of a unusual like qualification background, and that sometimes that can be a bit of a fear to um step into this space but you know i'm really glad i did one of the best things that's happened for me is that by by me stepping in this space a lot of the women that i work alongside in community are starting to step into that space too and we're starting to acknowledge the importance of lived experience and yes qualifications and all of that pay a part but we have our ancestral knowledges and our cultural practices that actually guide us and um that's what makes this, so, this work so important.
1: Thank you so much for sharing the sort of background to the work that you do. And I now wanted to pivot a bit to ask about sort of how it works. So in terms of the practical running of the sessions, how is your practice different from traditional Western therapy?
0: This is a question I get asked a lot and sometimes I find it a bit hard to answer, but I'm getting a bit better at it. Uh, a lot of the work I do is built on Arnie Judy Atkinson's work and it it talks about removing, trying to remove the hierarchy from therapy sessions. You know, often when we step into therapy through the Western ideology, there's this therapist and there's, there's the client and the therapist is the expert and we go to them for advice or knowledge and we, you know, do what they say essentially. Um, but when we look at it from an Indigenous standpoint, it's not about being an expert, I I tell my clients that I'm not an expert in anything. I'm really just here to listen. And I focus, so I focus more on deep listening, listening without wanting to respond, unless that's what the client wants to, um, wants from me. Um, You know, it's about removing some of those profoundly clinical aspects of, of healing and focusing more on restorative care and letting people know that they have the tools you know, they just need to talk it out. Like I'm learning as much from them as they learn from me. And I guess they kind of call it a, a safe space yarning practice. You know, it's having a yarn that's a little bit deeper than that, that that doesn't just embody the individual, but it embodies the collective. So someone's family, someone's partner, someone's community. Uh, it incorporates culture and country because when we're well, country's well, when countries well, we're well. And it looks at those, um, the ideas of of healing rather than than treatment so when it comes to my sessions I I try and move away from time you know I had an auntie say to me once how do you how do you sit in a session for 50 minutes and then tell someone your time is up get out I don't think that that's possible and when she said that I really thought about it so now I'll say to clients that you know a session can go for 30 minutes to 90 minutes and I you know I accommodate that time because sometimes people people come in and they just want a quick check in, but other times people need more time. They need you to hold space for them more. They need to to talk more to, and for you to listen more. And you know, if we're if we're talking about decolonizing practice, it's also decolonizing time, and we have to acknowledge that. Things look different, you know. I I'll often say to people, like I'm sure back in the day when you're having a yarn with your aunt around the fire, they went like, "Times up, get out." You know, like you have to change. We have to change that up. You know, it it's impossible. We live in a world that says, "Oh, well, ten sessions and you're healed," but that's that's not the reality of it. And I think we know that from things like intergenerational trauma and colonial trauma. So to decolonize counselling, we have to look at that and we have to say that this is a life. This is a lifelong thing. Some people will come and they'll go and they'll return. But we, as like the time weavers, we hold that space for them. Um, I have some kids that I work with. I work with a lot of kids in out-of-home care. um, And they all have different needs. Sometimes we do art. Sometimes we're outside. Sometimes we make music. I've got this one kid who I work with and he's not much of a talker, but he likes to hunt frogs. So we'll spend like 90 minutes Um, walking around the community center trying to find frogs we've only ever found one but it's in that time that we can talk about things like empathy and I can weave in that sort of those knowledge systems of the things that we learn from books and such into the practice with him but always keeping that that cultural knowledge at the forefront of how I'm working with my clients and my community.
1: Absolutely I think that the sort of background you've given us about the way that your practice is so informed by ancestral connections is such a beautiful and important thread to the work that you do and related to that I kind of wanted to segue a bit and talk about decolonization. So something I think that is important context the work that you're doing is the fact that western medicine from therapy to more traditional health services, all these kinds of things has played and continues to play a huge role in the colonial project here and across the world. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on how you think about the role that decolonial healing therefore has in um, the project of decolonization.
0: I've had a lot of jobs and one of the jobs that I had was an ALO at a hospital and it I already knew this, but it became very obvious that, you know, not just in in the therapy and counselling space, but throughout all of Western medicine, when it comes to mob, it comes still very much from a deficit narrative. And whilst some things have improved, there's still a huge lack of accountability, Um, especially when it comes to mob and understanding why we have such high rates of chronic health and complex PTSD and why um, engagement in mainstream services is often um, limited or or not lasting when it comes to mob. And from a practitioner level, there's a limited understanding of the continual impacts of colonization um, and how it really excludes First Nations practices um, more broadly or practices that are non-white and how that then impacts people's ability to engage in these spaces. When we think about the indigenous framework, trauma-focused approach that moves away from treating illness, but promoting health and health for a whole, com- using a whole community approach, you know, it, it, it focuses on how can we get better together? And part of that starts by, being accountable to understanding what's happened in the past.
1: Thank you so much for for sharing that. I think that this idea of community and collective perspectives and focus in healing is something that's so absent from the way that Western medicine and Western culture generally approaches care and healing. I also wanted to ask you about self-care, which is something that we're seeing, especially in this current moment, is being really weaponized by the sort of white wellness culture, to protect the status quo, or to excuse certain actions with ideas like allyship fatigue circulating. So I wanted to ask you from your perspective, um, how do you think about self-care?
0: Yeah, look, I think this is a really interesting topic because it's something Mob talk about a lot. And you know, when we think about self-care, we're talk, we, we talk about capitalism, right? And we talk about colonialism. We talk about, oh, you have, you've had a hard day, go get a massage or, you know, go get extra therapy, all of these things that still center money, right? Um, but for, for people of color, we don't really have that choice. You know, I think when we think about self-care, we think about the privilege of switching off. And for so many of us, that's, that's not an option. I could go to the most beautiful place in the whole world, but I'm still going to be thinking about mob. I'm still going to be thinking about the war. I'm still going to be thinking about death in custody. I'm still going to be thinking about all of those things because when it comes to black and brown bodies, we don't have a choice. We can't switch off um, because this affects us to our core and it affects every aspect of who we are. Um, So I think, for us, we talk more about collective care, not self care. And collective care is sitting together. It's sharing a meal. It's holding each other. It's sitting in the trenches together and trying to find that black joy. Trying to acknowledge that even though how hard how hard everything is, we have each other and we have that strength of sol- strength and solidarity. And I think that's you know that's where we really have to start. You know, self care. And the narrative that's used now is definitely based on this idea of switching off, and we don't get that. Um, So I think it's it's pulling it back and going, you know, well, I wouldn't want that anyway. I wouldn't want to be someone that can switch off. I just want to be someone where I can hold space for my community and my community can hold space for me.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that really powerful mediation on, you know, this really really in this really important moment and just on that i think before we end i really really want to focus in on this moment because i think that your work especially right now resonates and is just so critical in the moment that we're living and i wanted to ask you um in urgent moments like this when there is so much collective grief i think that your perspectives on healing and healing together are so important. So I wanted to ask how you think we can really begin to collectively prioritise that and move past these narratives of self-care.
0: I think right now, especially with everything that's going on in Palestine, a lot of us are watching, well, we are, we are watching genocide, right? And a lot of us come from lines of attempted genocide. I think there's no way, we can't self-care our way out of that. But what we can do is hold each other and sit in in a a space of collective care and be with each other, acknowledge that we're all in the trenches, acknowledge that it's super hard and be there for each other. You know, I think there's a lot to be said about meaningful rest and we should all engage in that. But it's thinking about the small things that we can do and doing them to, to what's of our ability. It might be marching. It might be sharing things on the internet. It might be talking to our friends but but it's being true to ourselves because i think um for mob anyway there's a lot of survivors guilt right we don't do enough that they've got it worse than i do but it's taking that narrative away and being like this is hard for all of us and it's so okay that it's hard because it is no one wants to see it no one wants to no one wants anything that's happening to be happening but it is so we have to stand in solidarity with each other and be there for each other you know this affects us as adults but it affects our communities as a whole you know I've got two kids and they're Punjabi Aboriginal and we were watching something on the tv about it and you know my my daughter said to me oh they look kind of those people look kind of like dad now they're not the same but there's similarities and you know when we think about self-care and all of those things like we we don't we don't get a choice to not tell our kids about that because this is, it affects them as, as much as it affects us, and they have to know the truth because we're bringing them into this world, right? They've been asked to be born. We chose to bring them in here, so we owe them the truth and we owe them the reality of the world. And I've been thinking a lot about that because both the, the my kids have lines of attempted genocide from the dad being Sikh and me being Aboriginal, and they're going to carry that in their through their ancestral lines and, and their intergenerational trauma. And now they're going to be watching that and, and seeing it. So we have to think about how we hold space for them, how we hold space for each other and turn to that collective care and that collective love to, to get all of us through this. And, you know, our kids are watching what we do and they're going to do the same. And I think it's it's really important that we talk about it and we, we move in solidarity Um, That's the only way we can decolonize.
1: I want to thank LJ so much for her generous offerings in this conversation. I echo LJ's words when she said that nothing can or should make us look away from the genocide in Palestine right now. And all kinds of colonial capitalist violence everywhere, from Gadigal to Gaza. True self care means collective care. We don't heal in isolation, we heal together. This is Samantha Haran, and you've been listening to Race Matters Summit Retreat. Race Matters.
0: Race Matters. Race Matters. Race Matters. Race Matters. Race Matters.
1: Race Matters.